Hello and welcome to the Ambassador Labs podcast, where we explore all things cloud native platforms, developer control planes, and developer experience. I'm your host, Daniel Bryant, Director of DevRail here at Ambassador Labs, and today I had the pleasure of sitting down with Casper Nissen, Lead Platform Architect at Luna. Join us for a fantastic discussion covering topics such as how to rapidly onboard developers to your organization, platforms and systems, how to design a paved road platform, and we'll explore the current benefits and challenges of implementing GitOps for continuous delivery with Kubernetes. And remember, if you want to dive deeper into the motivation for and benefits of a developer control plane, or are new to Kubernetes and want to learn more in our free Summer of Kubernetes series events, please visit getambassador.io. So welcome, Casper. Many thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Could you briefly introduce yourself and your background, please? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, so yeah, my name is Casper. I uh, work as a, as a lead platform architect at a company called Dooner. We are a, sort of a fintech startup that turned into a bank. Um, so uh, yeah, we've been been going for since August 2015. Um, and just been building a, a, a sort of a challenger bank in the in the Nordics. Um, so with that, we we we, we sort of started uh, cloud native containers uh, almost from the get go. Um, so we've been running Kubernetes uh, in, in production since uh, early 2017, um, and all good, all all the nice uh, projects in, in the CNCF. Uh, uh, under the, the umbrella there. Um, I also, I'm also a Cloud Native Computing Foundation ambassador. Uh, awesome. So I run um, meetups uh, locally here in, in the city that I live in, in Aarhus in Denmark, and uh, also been helping sort of a lot with um, creating the, the, the bigger sort of uh, Nordic um, sort of community alliance, uh, co-founded the Cloud Native Nordics. So we, I think we are, I don't know. It, it's kind of hard when when we are shifting from Meetup to uh, to community.cntf.io, but we are back when then we were around seven thousand. Um, oh wow! Uh, sort of members within the Meetup organization. Uh, so we are quite a lot of people in in the Nordics. Um, Thirteen groups, I think it is. So we just wow, try to help each nice. other out and mm. you know uh, organize and help each other with speakers and and events and stuff like that. So um, I think that's just the short intro. That's awesome, Casper. Yeah, because you and I have crossed paths many times. I think from your very early days and my early days in cloud, in um, like the Skills Matter events in London, wasn't it? Cloud Native. I remember it's like seeing you and a colleague talking about Luna uh, as it yeah. I was just emerging. And I was like, this is super interesting. So it's been fascinating to watch your journey and your company's journey, your team's journey, hand in hand as cloud has evolved, right? I think that's been a big learning curve for us all. Yeah, we, we we tried a lot of different things, failed in, in some places and, and, and changed direction. And so that's just how it is. Things are moving really, really fast as it is right now. And we are constantly learning. So uh, it's just, you know, following what what what's out there and, and, and see what fits in, in your organization and how you can, yeah, how you can benefit uh, the organization in itself. So. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I appreciate you sharing your learning as well, because like, something you touched on there, something I always try to do as a consultant, is not just share the good stories, because everyone shares the good stories at conferences, right? You want to share yeah. the bad ones too, don't you? Well, I tried this and it didn't work, and here's why. I think that's super interesting. Exactly. I, I think the it was actually quite fun. I, I did a talk a couple of years ago around, so back in 2017, I think, at, at GoTo, I was you know up on the stage and saying, hey, you should do decentralize everything. Everybody, developers should create their own uh, Kubernetes manifest files and they should have the responsibility to to do that and Docker files and everything. But we sort of figured out that wasn't probably mm. the best idea. So uh, 
But I think we're going to touch a, a bit on, on that as well. For sure. That, that is, yeah, that's a perfect lead-in, Gasper, because yes, I'd love to know about that, actually. So I guess for the listeners, send some context. Could you provide a high-level um, overview of your architecture you've worked on? Yeah, so we, we run in AWS, and uh, we run uh, a lot of uh, Kubernetes clusters. We have uh, free, right now free environments and uh, sort of a platform environment that we are currently in, in the process of uh, centralizing a, a lot of tooling there. Um, run, I don't know, it's, uh, it's been, it's hard to figure out how many microservices we run after and we're not sort of following that anymore, but I, I guess around 200 microservices or something like that, primarily Go-based. Um, Is that? Also did a transition there, started in Rails, transitioned to oh. Node, and then eventually became a Go, Go uh, Lang shop. So, um, so that's also a, an evolution there. Um, yeah, we, we do use uh, all the uh, monitoring tools from the CNCF uh, toolbox. So Prometheus and Grafana and nice. Jaeger and, and all of those uh, tools as well. We adopted the GitOps pattern really early, I guess, uh, back in, what was it? Maybe early 2019 or something like that. We've been running the setup that we run right now, uh, everything in Git um, for two years, uh, two and a half years, something like that. We mm. And that's been a really, really nice way for us. It, it, it's actually a funny story because it was at, back then we were um, we were talking about this transition into becoming a bank. And uh, what things do you do you need as a, as a bank? You need audit, right? And you get that yes. from, from running a, a system like this. Also get the the, the sort of the, the the flow around approvals, and you can do a lot of things around PR flows and and, and uh, setting some policies there. And how how do you actually do that? Um, and what is the requirement there? And also in terms of um, discovery, uh, dis- not, not discovery, disaster recovery, and being available all the time, having everything in Git makes that fairly easy. It does, of course, something you need to take care of still, and, and, and things need to come up in a certain order. But it just makes it a lot easier to have that desired state in a in a Git repository somewhere, and, and be able to recreate from there. Um, and also GitOps provide you know this really nice abstraction in, in terms of um, least privilege. So you don't really need to provide your developers access to the production systems because nice. they're interacting with something yeah. else, uh, which is the Git repo. Or in our case, we have some tooling in front of that as well. So they're not really interacting with the Git repo. They're just interacting with some tooling that we developed. Oh. So it just, it's a really nice abstraction to, and, and you get a lot of benefits in, in, in especially in, in sort of the banking and financial services industry. Because I know, like you mentioned there, Casper, regulation, compliance, and the my brief foray, this is like 10 years ago into finance, there was a lot of you know, two-party sign-off, right? As a developer, I'd write some code and someone would have to review it and then ops would have to approve it. And then someone would actually kind of watch the ops person applying it. And I was like, yeah. wow, <laughs> I'm just writing some, like, some new Java code, right? Um, has that got any easier over the years or, or not? It, it, it did. It, that was really one of the things that we tried to tackle with, with creating the system that we have right now using GitOps as well, uh, because I think this is uh, the sort of the, the case that you just mentioned is, is what is going on in a lot of banks out there still. Mm. Yeah. Uh, because the, the principle of segregation of duties, right? That's it. That's it. Yeah. Um, but, but what we did instead, it was to actually um, focus around the PR flow and, and, and putting in some policies. So you really, in, in order to get something into master, you need to have a, a peer review your stuff. Uh, so you always have the four eyes uh, on every change that goes into production yep. using a PR flow. 
which is really nice. And, and then we have some restrictions on what kind of branches and stuff like that you can go into production. It's only the master and the main branch that could go into to production, right? So that is how we sort of dealing with the segregation of duty concept is to, to focus it and, and sort of narrowing it down to the PR flow and the review flow around the PR and limiting what can go into which environment. And that works really, really well because if you need to segregate you know, the development and the operations, you, you just have a, you know, a big headache and, and stuff will yeah. queue up. And yeah, that's not really a, a, a way to be agile in, in, <laughs> in the years that we live in now. So um, you, you, you want to be able to move fast and, and also be able to roll back fast if something yes. um, yeah, goes wrong in, in that sense. So um, just having that, uh, that was our way to sort of tackle this really not agile uh, concept of segregation of duty, just focusing on the flow that developers are sort of doing anyway, um, and just putting in some small restrictions and policies around that, but sufficient to to uh, to comply with the regulations. Very nice, Kassel. very nice indeed. Um, you touched on it already there. I'm curious, are developers empowered to own the full life cycle of services, like from designing the coding to the running these in prod? Uh, you sort of mentioned a few times there's sort of obviously there's the segregation of duties, but there's this notion of you build it, you run it in the cloud, right? I know that you and I have talked yeah. about this in the past. I'm kind of curious, how does it work at Luna? Like, do you as a developer own everything all the way through to code, ship, and run? Yes, they do. Nice. So what we, we do is that we we have a, a central platform team uh, or now becoming teams <laughs> because we are scaling insanely. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's also a completely another challenge. How, how do you actually do that? Um, but we have, a, you know, like a, a central team at the moment that are sort of creating tooling and, and providing all the, the stuff necessary to make, you know, shifting all of these responsibilities left to developers, make that easy for them and then manageable because you can't just put all of this responsibility onto developers and say, hey, go figure it out and be experts <laughs> in, in all the different systems that you actually need to, to get the data and whatever you need to do in order to, to take ownership of, of the yeah. entire life cycle. So you need to provide some kind of uh, easy way to, to do that and, and some default, same defaults for, I don't know, uh, dashboarding or alerting or whatever it might be. So uh, yeah, they, uh, they completely own the, the full life cycle as it is right now. That's very cool. I think that is the, for a lot of folks, that is something to aspire to. You know, we see again, a lot of the, the conference talks, right? Folks are talking like yourself, you're at the vanguard, you're kind of leading the, the charge here. And I think a lot of even small organizations, but definitely big organizations would love to get there because they realize the speed benefits. If you've got that full ownership as a developer, to your point, you can move fast, right? You can get those feedback yeah. loops going without the need for all these handoffs. Exactly. And that, that is uh, the key thing it is just you know the um, to be fast and move fast and and can put stuff in there just some just a new feature out and hey if it, does, it didn't work out uh, we just remove it again and it just be able, be able to you know put those things out there try it out see if it works get some feedback experiment yeah and then yeah. experiment with both with features but also sort of the tech side of things as well so it's it's the full life cycle um so to speak very interesting. And this is the super interesting question. I'm, I've been you know, keen ever since you mentioned it in the intro, Casper. What tools do you use to manage all of this? Because you've hinted that you've created some of your own stuff. And I know there's other um, tools out there, like you and I talked about Backstage in the past, obviously Ambassador Labs, we're doing similar things. I'm really curious to know um, 
yeah, what you've done and what the sort of mentality was around the build versus buy? Because that's always really hard, right? Do you do you buy something in open source even, um, or do you build something yourself, right? Yeah, exactly. So the the, the story and 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 as I also mentioned in the beginning um, with this talk from GoTo was that we were sort of decentralizing everything. So the decentralization was sort of the key concept of how we started out. Uh, putting, you know, uh, have a, I think we had a deploy folder or something with, with the Kubernetes manifest and it was just, you know, uh, uh, pure manifest uh, the, a deployment uh, service and, and whatever you needed in order to get that up and running. Uh, but, and also the Docker files and, and managing Docker files is probably the biggest pains because when you're in the financial services industry, you also need to, you know, manage your uh, risks and, and, mm, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, be sure that you it, it, it applies to uh, but in, especially in, in the financial industry, we, we need to make sure that we don't have any high CVs or stuff running in our systems that can can do bad things. So, um, and what we found out back there was that it, it's just really, really tedious as, uh, as we were growing and, and, and our teams got more services. So the team owning 10 services had to go into 10 different repositories, uh, update, 10 Docker files and whatever else they needed to do. And that just was not working at all. Like for patching, Casper, if you like, there's a CV popped up on like Ubuntu yeah. or CentOS or whatever, right? You had to go into 10 files, change them all to the latest version, commit it all. And then, oh, and then a yeah. PR flow and a review. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that didn't really work out. And, and developers didn't really want to, you know, take on that ownership because they didn't really feel that that was their tasks. Mm. So, mm. So what we did instead was we created a tool called Shuttle. It's an open source project. Oh, yeah. it's, a, it's available on the, our GitHub organization. It's called Luna Way. Uh, it's not Luna or any. Uh, so we changed names uh, during all this. <laughs> but it's, mm -hmm. it's on the, our GitHub organization called Luna Way Shuttle. Um, and what it basically is, it, it's, a, it's just a, essentially a distributed uh, make file, so to speak. Um, <laughs> but what it allows us to do is to we have a sort of a centralized, we call it a plan. It's basically just a lot of uh, templates and um, for manifest, for Docker files uh, and, and stuff like that, uh, scripts you can run on your repositories. And then in each repository, we have a shell.yaml file, which also specifies ownership, who owns this oh, thing. Yeah. And then you can configure environments and stuff like that. And, and then you really don't need to care about uh, Kubernetes manifest. You, you're not actually seeing them or Docker files if you don't need to. So we are abstracting all of that away from, from our developers with the possibility if, if they have a special case that we are not at the moment uh, able to handle with this uh, plan that we call it, then they can opt out and create, uh, create the stuff themselves. And they can also inner source it in, into, and we've seen a lot of cool examples of, um, you know, now there's this problem, some team fixes it, and then they, you know, create a PR across uh, back to, to us, and then it's oh, available nice. to the entire organization. So that's really nice that we are, you know, have this sort of a platform where we can uh, allow teams to figure out what they need. And, and if it's something that's applicable to the rest of the teams, you can just um, inner source it, and, and that works really well. Um, so every every repo has the shell.yaml file that specifies ownership, and we take that ownership with us into labels and Prometheus metrics and log lines and whatever uh, else, uh, just to be able to, to you know, select and uh, and filter uh, when we, we search for certain stuff. And it also makes it really easy to create dashboards for specific teams mm -hmm. or services uh, and all of that. So that's that's one tool that we build ourselves. Um, 
it's a it's a fairly simple uh, tool right now it's it's primarily just running uh, some bash scripts in the background um but what as a developer you 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 actually just run shutter run build and then you you get a Docker container out of it, or you can say shall run generate config, and you get some manifest out. Thank um, you. So everything is sort of tagged away, um, which is really nice. So that makes the patching part really easy because then it's just us patching our templated Docker file, and then everything is good. Um, oh, and then it kind of like you can roll it out in the background. I guess you got to test yes. those rollouts because I've had that situation where a patch was fit, a patch that you know addressed the vulnerability and it actually changed the functionality. Yeah. the way the memory management happened in a, in a Java Apple, for example, which meant the throughput suddenly went Oof, like that. So I guess <laughs> it, you, so you, there's some notion you've got to team up with the developers, go, hey, we're rolling out a patch. This might yeah. be the implication. Sure. And, and they also have always have the ability to, you know, uh, specify which version of Go they want to use or whatever it might be. So they, they have the option to actually opt out. And, and, nice. and I think many actually do this in, in order to avoid this problem. Um, but then it's, it's their responsibility and they take oh, on Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Freedom and responsibility, as Netflix say, right? Yes. Do you want to opt out? It's on you. <laughs> yes, exactly. So our job is basically just to, you know, make the, the right choice, the easy choice. But if, oh, like if, if that's not the case, um, they have the option to, uh, to control it themselves. But they take on the responsibility also. So that's just, you know, a part of it. And then... Um, so that, that's sort of uh, around the repository and around how we, we, we run shuttle in our pipelines as well. So everything you can run locally, we, we just write, run that oh, in nice. a continuous integration as well, mm. which makes it really easy to test everything beforehand instead of, yeah. you know, have to fiddle with some uh, Jenkins groovy, whatever stuff you're <laughs> yeah. running, which is yeah. really hard to test. Uh, so it's really nice to just be able to, you know, if it runs locally, it will run in the CI uh, server as well, which is really nice. Um, that makes that part easy as well. And then from there, we, we push, um, you know, of course, a Docker uh, container uh, to a registry. And, and then we push um, our artifacts, we call them. It's basically just Kubernetes manifest files into an S3 bucket that then sort of triggers uh, what we call a release manager. Um, and the release manager is something that we build ourselves as well. But it... The, the primary job of that uh, component is to basically move files around in a Git repo, in the Git, uh, GitOps config repo. So it gets an event saying, hey, there's this new uh, build available. Ah. It, checks, uh, it checks for policies and we have a policy that is an auto-release policy. So as a developer, I can specify that whenever I push to, let's say this feature brands or whatever, it will go automatically into our development environment. Or mm. if I push to master, it will always be, uh, you know, when, when that is merged, it will go out to uh, production automatically. Uh, that's something you as a developer controls as well. And so you can sort of create your own flows in how you want to do that, uh, which is also really nice. The only restriction we have there is that master and main branches is the only one, you, uh, it's, it's the only branches that you can push into production because that's cool. where we require the review. Makes um, sense. And then, yeah, you can also just do it manually with a CLI tool. Uh, so you can say release uh, this branch into this environment or whatever you, you want to. Um, so that's that's pretty easy and, and provides this really nice abstraction as well, because now you're not sort of dealing with going into GitHub or uh, pulling down the repo yourself and figuring out and, and managing the files. You're just saying, I know I built this, I can just release it into whatever environment. So it's just a release or it's automatically done for you. That's up to you. So. Um, that just makes this process really, really easy as a developer to uh, 
to interact with the running systems and the running software yeah, like out it. there and, and impact that. Um, so that's that's really really nice. And then we tried recently, oh, not recently, in October last year or something like that. We started looking into backstage. Ah, yeah. Um, because we want to. Now, now we have a lot of different tools, as you uh, as we talked about, uh, monitoring tools, uh, the release manager tools, and Kubernetes running. Uh, Sneak for scanning, uh, security ah, exactly. vulnerabilities, yeah. and, and uh, source graph for st- or something else. And we just have a lot of different tools out there uh, that yep. developers, to some extent, need to be experts in or at least have some knowledge about in order to get what they need in order to take on the responsibility. And that's just, you know, <laughs> for <laughs> yes. developers to. So, so when we push it, we, we need to make it easy for them to, to get the right information. Yeah. Um, so we want, what we want is a, a sort of a single view. Uh, when you log into your computer in the morning, you, with a cup of coffee or something, you have mm. this single pane view of your team or a specific service or whatever you, you want to. But, but just sitting down, I can see what happened since yesterday. What was released? Was there any sort of uh, stuff uh, going on in production, or, or what? Oh, how, how does the world look today? Mm-mm. That's that's really something that we we want to build. We are not there yet, um, but that's sort of our goal to to create this, just this this uh, you know overview of how is everything looking mm, since I, like I was in last time. Um, get the pros of the system, getting yeah whatever is interesting for you as a developer. So we yeah we adopted backstage back then, um, and started building on sort of we get the service catalog which is a really nice uh, you know start out and and when yeah. we have this ownership that I talked about earlier in the shuttle of YAML files we can just you know propagate that into backstage as well so now we have a nice. searchable and really nice service catalog where we can can see documentation and we have some plugins that uh, get the latest builds and. I don't know GitHub integration that yeah get some some of the details on GitHub as well and just uh yeah some some different stuff around the service and and how how it's running um, also we created a, a a backstage plugin for the release manager as well oh very cool so uh, so, so you're able to see uh, the latest artifacts that are available and you can just click on a button and it will be uh, going to that environment um, oh so you can deploy from the UI yeah nice. So we're just interacting with our release manager. It's just an HTTP uh, server. So it's, it's, it's fairly easy to just, you know, mm. you click the button, communicate. And what is going on in the background is, of course, just YAML being moved around, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's our world these days, right? Whether it's <laughs> yeah. us as humans or machines, it's mainly yeah, moving exactly. YAML around, right? <laughs> and then stuff happens. Uh, <laughs> and that's really, really nice. Uh, and it makes it fairly simple to build um, this, yeah, whatever we call it, whether it's a developer control plane or, or support yeah, yeah, yeah. or, or whatever yeah. it, it might mm-hmm. be. Uh, because just having the that Git repo makes it easy to do really interesting stuff. Um, mm. so, so the reason I did, yeah, it's just moving files around based on, on whatever you, you sort of pressed and, and then stuff goes into production and you get a Slack message because we also oh, have nice, a, of course, nice. a, a Slack uh, integration. Um, yeah. So, from sort of the, the, the developer perspective, we, we actually also have Slack integrations on each step in Jenkins. So you can see uh, live yeah, yeah. <laughs> how your build is going. <laughs> so we report whenever a step is finished uh, and then you can follow the entire life cycle or sort of the entire sort of deployment uh, cycle into, into the environment that you are uh, releasing into. So you also get a message when the release manager has processed 
uh, your artifact. Mm. Uh, there's a policy on it. Uh, you actually also get a, a message in the PR uh, before merging it that, hey, if you merge this into master, it will go automatically into production because you have a policy saying that is what you want. Mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, to be able to make sure that they actually know what they, <laughs> the impact of, of pushing yeah, yeah. merge in that case is. And then we, uh, whenever uh, we have, let's say, five out of five running, we, we push a message as well and saying, hey, now your service is, is running out there and everything is, is working as, uh, as it should be. And if, if it fails, a uh, crash loop back off or something like that, we, we grab the, I think it's the last 30 line log lines or something like that from the container that, that crashes oh, cool. and forward this, that back directly to the, to the, um, to them in Slack. So they will get the message right away saying, Hey, this is what happened in the container. So that they cool. don't have to go in to, I don't know, control. Logs, yeah, 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 exactly. They get it right away instantly. Um, That's cool. Really nice. You're just missing, you know, a button saying, "Hey, roll back" or something. Uh, but that's also oh, it doesn't auto do. roll back. Like nope. what's so like you got to do that yourself. Go in and say, right, quickly, yeah. roll this back. If if you can't fix it forward, roll it back quick. Yeah, exactly. But we have uh, luckily, uh, and that's uh, uh, kudos to Kubernetes for for the rolling uh, strategy, sort of the rolling update strategy. And oh, nice. Yeah. So it just you know spins up the container that crashes and nothing happens to what is running. So it's, it's oh gotcha nice. gotcha yeah <laughs> that's kind of yeah so the, you limit your actual blast radius so to speak. Yes. Yeah. So nice. That's a really nice feature to to utilize that and and so it, it the new container just crashes and and then nothing happens and you can just roll it back so you have the same state as you had before. So and, ah, but nice. it would be nice to have some automatic stuff going on there and but it it works really well as it as it it's running right now. That sounds very cool, guys. But there's a couple of things I wanted to dive in there. That, that was a super interesting tour. Thanks a lot. Like, and I'm sure again, a lot of folks listening, this is where they're aiming for, right? This sort of the 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 mantle of GitOps. And as you were talking, I definitely heard with the release manager some similarities. I think with Argo CD and with Flux. Kind of those are the yeah. two probably big sort of open source CNCF projects in this space. Um, and then towards the end, I was kind of curious, like was there a mention of like Argo rollouts or Flagger, kind of the canarying these kind of things. And yeah. what was the choice for you doing your own thing? Was it a case that those tools didn't exist or did you have some specific, specific requirements perhaps? So we actually have Flux running. Uh, ah. So we, we, we use Flux <clears throat> and we use Flux to, it's basically just applying uh, whatever's in a specific folder in, in Git. Um, ah, and then the release manager, yeah, so release manager is basically just moving files around in, in that repo and then Flux applies. Oh, um, interesting. And then we have the last component running in each environment, which is something that we call the release daemon that, that listens for. So we have a, we annotate every um, all, all the deployments with annotation saying this is managed by the release manager. Ah, and oh, if, if, if it sees that, yeah. it, it, it just reports the state back and grabs the logs if that's the case. Or grabs the, if, if it's a create config container config error, you get the message saying, hey, you uh, don't have this uh, config map or this key is missing or whatever it is. So, so that is the, the sort of the last step. So we have Flux applying. We actually also had a, an integration between Flux and the release statement because Flux mm. has uh, the option to send events out. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, uh, because that, that would catch some of the, the not so good stuff in, in Flux v1. <laughs> yeah, right, fair enough, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, something with, with duplicate definitions and stuff like that, uh, stopping the pipeline and uh, all that. So we, we actually sort of created a, a, the WebSocket as a WebSocket integration. You can get the event oh, and no, you can yeah, communicate nice. back. Um, uh, but that's fixed in, in D2, so um, so that's uh, really nice. But yeah, we do use Flux. Um, Flux was 
back then uh, the only the, the only tool yes. available. Yeah. Um, WeWorks had this um, UI stuff where you could uh, hook in the repo and, and move files around, but it, I it do wasn't that. really. Yeah. Yeah. That, it, it, it wasn't really what we were looking for. And, and we had a lot of discussions around the, the sort of the GitOps flow that, that WeWorks were, was presenting at that time being that Flux should should trigger on a registry event saying, Oh, hey, that's, that's right, a new, new container. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a new container available in this registry. Flux sees that, gets an event, uh, applies that thing, uh, as, as, you know, set the image on, on this deployment, and then it will sort of commit it back to the Git. Uh, oh, that's control, right. Yeah. Which was something that we really didn't. The want mutating of the YAML as well as the read. Yeah, I've had a few folks yeah. about that. So, so we were sort of creating what we call the one-way flow instead, where we, mm. you know, had the release manager to move files around and say, this is the desired state and Flux, you are only applying whatever we sort of specify as the uh, desired state. That's your only job. Interesting. <laughs> um, Separation of so, so, responsibilities, right? Yeah, and then we just disabled all the features of Flux and just, <laughs> you only need to deploy uh, or apply this this thing if something's changing. Um, oh, and that's, that's super that's interesting. Yeah, so but just also, the... yeah. Oh, sorry, guys. No, it also, so Flux is only sort of listening on webhook events from, from the config repo and from whatever is uh, the sync uh, loop going on inside of Flux. So if you manually go into do something with kubectl, it will roll it back, of course. Nice. Um, but that's the only two things that it really does. So just to confirm my understanding, that's been super useful. The release manager is more about the promotions through environments than it is actually yes. the syncing because that yeah. comes up with some folks, even whether they're using Argo or... or um, or Flux or other tools, is how do you promote effectively between environments from dev to staging to um, to ultimately production, right? Yeah, so exactly. you've, yeah, you've built a tool to do that. That's, that is very interesting. Any thoughts about open sourcing the release manager or is it too specific it's, to what you do? It, it's, it's actually, it's not open sourced, it's publicly available. Let's, let's call it that. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it, I, I think we sort of almost lose out all the, the sort of the Luna specific stuff in there. Cool. Our, our plan initially was to, to, to create it as an open source project, but we, we don't label it as an open source project, but it's publicly available. It's a public oh, repo. So you are able to go in there and, uh, and have a look great. at it. If you oh, are. brilliant. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely in the show notes, I'll, I'll link it there. because so I've played with Shuttle after you and I chatted a while back. I remember looking at Shuttle. I think like Airbnb and a few other folks have done something similar. So it's good to see that like there's a lot of... Um, sort of uh, coming together of like, these are the goals we want as a developer. These are the functionalities we want. I think that's super interesting. I wanted yeah. to also touch on um, Backstage. Backstage is super interesting. You mentioned about the um, like single view of the world, the single pane of glass, which I think we're seeing a lot of folks talk about that now, particularly with Backstage being a CNCF project, profiles being raised, right? You need a service catalog, yes. you need a single pane of glass. Is it useful when you're onboarding folks and that go and it can be like new developers new engineers or even new teams to a new service right if you've got 200 services i'm guessing there is a little bit of movement there between teams i wondered yeah. how useful is something like backstage for onboarding folks we uh, we actually do have a so we, we are hiring people like insane so we've been fo focusing a lot on on sort of the, the onboarding process as well and we actually right now use backstage to onboard people oh um, interesting yeah yeah so we are just going through our onboarding documentation, which of course is, is in, back, in backstage um, with links to different services and the service catalog. And you can browse around and, and see how everything is uh, sort of laid out and find diagrams and whatever is, is sort of needed oh, for you to, yeah, to, yeah. to get started. So everything is, is in backstage uh, for documentation and, 
and, and you have the option as a new uh, joiner just to you know, sit down, browse through, search the different services and, and see mm. what is out there and how yeah. are people doing stuff. Then as a complement to that, we, we have Sourcegraph, uh, which are really, it's, it's a really nice tool as well in, in terms of onboarding people because it's just easy when you are sort of trying to, so this is probably when they are onboarding and starting to build a new feature or a new service or something like that, just to be able to browse through how are other people doing it, finding references across repos. Is, uh, oh, interesting. It's a really, really powerful feature to to see that, uh, so we have we, we have a lot of different libraries and a lot of different variants of how you can create a service internally. So just be able to find different, you know, references to how are other teams doing this is, mm. is really valuable. It's a bit like um, uh, Copilot, like, yeah, you know, like GitHub with their Copilot, but not quite yeah. as advanced, right? Maybe you don't want that anyway, but like just to look for similarities, like look for best practices. Yeah, it would be really nice to have like a, a Copilot for your, your own sort of yeah repos. agreed agreed that that would be really really powerful especially to 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 align on on standardization and how you should you you know do stuff uh, or how is it mostly done in, in <laughs> yes. <most> services. <laughs> Super interesting, Casper. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. As you know, I think that's like when I've onboarded companies, is like how do I get my how do I get my code? How do I push it through the pipeline? You know, how do I monitor it? But then I, once you've got those kind of basic things done, it is very much like what should I be doing? What what's yeah. going to make my teammates' lives easier, right? And particularly if like you can't find the API docs, you probably call the API wrongly, right? I've done that before. Like, ah, I'm sure this works, right? So yeah, do, you, also, do you have some things around that as well? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's also something that we have available in, in Backstage. Uh, all services that, uh, so we, we use uh, Swagger for HTTP. Oh, we use um, gRPC and Protobufs, which is also visualized in Backstage. So in when you go into Backstage and look for a specific service, you can see the gRPC, um, set up the protobuf specifications you can see oh, the nice, swagger nice. layout how is uh, what, what is all the endpoints you can also see the graphql if there's a graphql and Ooh, api so very nice. um, but the, the last thing that we are missing right now is uh, being able to sort of see events uh, how events definitions and, and stuff like that uh, well, async api we bumped into yeah that. yeah so so we, we are not sort of following a formalized format as it is right now we are sort of in the process of uh, migrating to a, a standard that we can actually visualize also in, in backstage so we can see oh, exactly what is going in and out of each service and and, and see the contract so to speak on um, yeah um, another thing that that you also touched upon is, is setting up all of these different stuff when you are a, a new person right if you mm -hmm. how do yeah. you set up a git repo how do i uh, get uh, the CI to actually push to uh, a registry somewhere and how to actually get that stuff out. We, we use Backstage uh, Scaffold for, for actually doing this. Oh, interesting, interesting, so, yeah. Uh, Backstage has this really cool feature of uh, scaffolding where you can just hook in whatever you sort of need. So when, I think we have, what is it, like four or five steps that you need to fill out, uh, what, which team, uh, what is the name of the service uh, description, and then you can just click, click, uh, click, and then everything is being set up for you. So you get nice. a Git repo out of the box. You get some nice. default uh, code, how the code is laid out in the repo. You actually also get uh, this uh, thing deployed into production if you want to. <laughs> wow. Uh, with a, with a, a single ping endpoint. Um, oh, cool, cool. Just to, to you know, be sure that everything is lined up and available for you to actually go in and, and you know, um, develop whatever feature you need to develop. So you don't have to go through the hassle of figuring out how to actually set all of this up because um, 
it can take time because oh, there's yeah. a lot of different systems that you need to you know configure stuff in um, that's so. very cool guys but we, we've often talked about this like um different names like dan north calls it a dancing skeleton yeah uh, bjorn who's rsv of engineering is um because like version zero like all the way through from like being able to code it to be actually running in prod and yeah. like, often like you know i'm sure you've been the same right places i've worked to get something into prod has taken months right and you know like, i won't mention any names here but i'm about rocking up getting pretty quickly set up with my local dev environment but i was like i want to push this to prod and it's yeah. like oh we need to hook this thing up to jenkins always oh, like run deck needs to be connected up oh and you want monitoring as well i remember like just going backwards and forwards to the ops team just going can i get this can i get that so you're saying you can literally push a button you know pick a time right but 10 minutes later or whatever yeah. yeah how cool was that right <laughs> It's really awesome, and, and we also have a, you know a stuff like dashboarding and stuff like that. It's also templated, so everything you need is just you know fill out these five boxes, and then you have everything set up. And it takes five minutes or something to actually get it into production, and then you're ready, and you can just take ownership and and implement yeah. the features that you need. Yeah, that's Thanks. awesome. That is that is super cool. Just sort of closing the loop on that one, Casper. What's it like from the incident management point of view? So you've say you pushed your service out, right? You've been working on it for a couple of months. It's now a you know tier one service and it blows up. Like as a developer, would you use backstage as your jumping off point or pager duty reaches out to you first, perhaps that kind of thing? Yeah, so this right now, uh, we don't have that sort of all the signals uh, into backstage as it is right now. So Right now, it's it's more uh, in the monitoring tooling and and of course page duty if if uh, it's, ah, gotcha. if something really goes off and and, and needs a pager <laughs> on uh, to to the on call rotation. But uh, we are also in, in that sense migrating from being a small startup to actually now being a, a lot of people with a lot of responsibility and figuring out how to actually do this. And now I think we are getting to a point where we are uh, big enough to have uh, on-call rotations on nice, each nice. different teams and stuff like that. Because as it is right now, we, we just have a group spread of engineers spread across all the different teams with, you know, different uh, skill sets that are sort of doing the rotations at, at yeah, this right you. now, just to be able to, to take on uh, and, and manage. Uh, it's an extra responsibility, most, most right? Of, yeah, it is. So, um, but we also have actually a pager duty uh, integration into Backstage, which uh, oh. allows our developers or support team or whatever, uh, they can trigger the on-call uh, directly. Oh, Backstage. interesting. And they can see who is actually on-call as well. Um, so um, that's really, really a nice, uh, it was just a plugin and we just, you know, adapted it a little bit. Uh, so everything, there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting uh, projects around Backstage and plugins yeah, being yeah. created mm-hmm. because it, it seems like people are sort of, Right now, consolidating a bit on backstage as this single pane thing, yeah. which means that all the different vendors out there need to create a, a plugin for backstage in order to, to actually yeah. hook in all these different tools that we we need. Um, so we also have the Sneak plugin. Uh, we, oh. we were a customer of Sneak, so um, they created a plugin. Just you know, plug it in and. Get <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> That's very nice. Could you see? Backstage being your incident management dashboard in the future, Casper. Like I know you said mostly probably Grafana, Prometheus, you're looking at your logs now, whatever. But I'm wondering, particularly as, as a company grows, right? You might be paged for a service that like is not your service, or your service is crashing because of a dependency. That's a classic, right? And then yeah. just even like figuring out who owns this service is super valuable. So I wonder, could you see a point where maybe a bit of a loaded question, right? But could you see a point where backstage became your incident management portal? Yeah, maybe it, it depends on, I guess, the 
sort of the development within the the plugin itself if if something mm. if, if people I, I don't think it would be something that we were probably going to you know put a lot of effort into we mm-hmm. right now we, we just needed the trigger button basically yeah just help <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly um but but yeah why not you can do everything in backstage so, uh, yeah, so yeah. why not but but i think we, we need to figure out what what is the responsibility of a plugin in backstage mm, versus yeah, the actual yeah. product um well that's an interesting well that is an interesting question isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah so how much should the the plugin actually do in terms of providing some kind of insights into what's going on and if you need more insights or specific actions you need to go into the tool I think that's, oh, sort that's of where we see we see sort of the the, the the bridge as it is right now. Present a high level overview of whatever it might be, and if you have yep. sort of the need to go into to more details, click the button and you will be taken to to whatever vendor or whatever project it is uh, mm-hmm. for diving into the details. Um, but that might change. Yeah, that's super interesting. So that that is a really uh, nice observation. That I haven't. I'll think a bit more about that because it almost reminds me of all the things I've worked on over the years, even API gateways, where responsibilities sort of bled inappropriately. Your business logic ended up in an API gateway. And we're like, no, 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 you should not have business logic in API gateway, separation of responsibility, separation of concerns. And I hadn't thought too much about that from a plug-in perspective, but that's super interesting. But, yeah. but that's, uh, I think that's, that's all, yeah, that's one of the cool things around Backstage is that we are just, you know, we, we don't, have any data or anything like that within backstage mm, that is status. hosted so we are just delegating yeah. to uh, to all the services to get the information and, and then we can present it in the way we see fit in, in terms of providing valuable information to to whoever is going to look at it it, it doesn't mm. really need to be developers we can present all kinds of information if, if that's what we need so just having that place where we can figure out what is uh, let's take let's take monitoring as a as an example, right? We we probably want uh, some of the, the four golden signals. Um, yeah, of course. Put in in for the squad itself, maybe for the service itself as well, and and then that's probably sufficient for if they are all green or within the the right thresholds of traffic values, lights um, kind of thing. Yeah, like green, amber, like red. Yeah, yep. and then if if you need to click click on the I don't know the the one that's red, and you go into Grafana or where it might be. I think that's sort of the separation that we're looking at right now, but yeah, who knows? I think it's implementing something like Grafana within Backstage is probably not kind of, yeah, I don't know. Everything, yeah, everything yeah. can happen, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a constant trade-off, even I think with um, views in commercial uh, monitoring SaaS. Do you know what I mean? That's that, like, if you present every bit of information up front, you're just bewildered. So like, I'm thinking yeah. of Datadog, I'm thinking of yeah, even Lightstep, uh, Honeycomb, these kind of things. They, they've really thought about the correct abstractions, top level, like traffic lights often, and then yeah. you dive in and these kind of things. So I think that's, yeah, super interesting. Just sort of following on from that, Casper, in terms of, say, like folks call like blameless postmortems, those kind of things, do you use any information from backstage to do postmortems? Let's say an incident's occurred, we all have them, right? And then, you know, you've, you've addressed it. Is there any data you would pull out or display in backstage or do you mainly just get around a table or a virtual table these days of course and just discuss the incident or i'm kind of curious like because for me incidents are inevitable as the company grows and as the users use your systems in different ways managing them can be a make or break moment do you know what i mean yeah. can you bring the learnings from those incidents into the team yeah that's uh, so right now we don't have information in in backstage that are sort of um, 
useful in uh, in a postmortem scenario. It's mostly going to the Grafana to figure out what happened or finding logs or whatever it might be. And and we actually we are actually using Confluence to write down. Oh, our, good. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really embarrassing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually everyone listening is, is nodding along, Casper. We've all done it, right? Yeah, exactly. We've all done it. <laughs> but we are we are definitely looking into. So yeah, we are a pager duty customer as well, and and actually, uh, you know, gathering all all of the details around the incident in in the actual incident tool. Um, mm. Um, because there are some nice features, and uh, whenever there's a, an alert firing, you can find uh, postmortems from older uh, events. And... Oh, and say so this is how you remediated it. Yeah, example. exactly. Yeah, Just, yeah, yeah. They, they have some AI stuff, and you know, everybody has something like that, right? Yes, <laughs> AI ops, right? <laughs> yeah. But it sounds cool, and it, <laughs> I think it's something that could help us out um, going in that direction at some oh, that's point. Interesting. Yeah, just yeah. having everything around an incident in one place that is also the place where the stuff that actually triggered so you get the timeline uh, you can probably yes. also get pay the duty to scrape whatever slack channel it created mm -hmm. or and get the timeline laid out or whatever it might be um, that is something that we will uh, look into in the in the future as well but it's right now it's a fairly it's a, it's a process where we meet up. So that was, a, a, you know, an incident. We meet up uh, whoever is sort of relevant for, for that incident and we just talk it through and write down. We have a template. Um, what ah, would be, cool. Yeah, so... Like, so what, a, like what, a, in Confluence, like a template, kind of almost yeah, like a word doc so template, just right? click on that and then you get, you know, a table with the timeline and you just enter whatever is oh, cool. the timeline and you get what did we do well, what we did we ah, not nice. do so well, what is the action point. Um, we also have some... Uh, regulatory stuff to fill out um so there's a link to that as well uh, so it goes into right department and, and all that so it's it's right now it's it's, it's a template and it, it works all right in content but it would be really nice to be able to have that link back whenever we sit in a situation this thing maybe i, I haven't seen this when i was on call um but if, if there's a link to a previous event that's sort of similar or has yeah, some text yeah. that sort of indicate it's the same thing then it would be really nice to just have that in, in the, yeah, the UI that is. Or even be able to jump to like uh, often like I talk about this in observability toolings. You're actually really looking for the insight these days. We've kind of gone beyond that level of give me the data. Like when something bad is happening, like an incident, that you know jumping straight to the remediation step, saying this looks very similar to what happened last week, and it was yeah. a database restart. And it's like right, you know, at least I can perhaps try that, right, or or or, or document in Slack. I believe it's similar. I'm trying this. And then you're constantly improving, right? I think joining yeah. the dots is really key there for incidents. Yeah. Yeah. So what we do around runbooks is uh, we actually also use Confluence for that. Oh, <laughs> so, we, <good> stuff. <laughs> so we actually, all alerts uh, has a Confluence page where it just, you know, defines what, what, what can you try out, uh, what you ah, do, nice, uh, nice. look at, or, or what can, yeah, what is the remediation uh, if, if we know it or, Otherwise, just try to do get this dashboard or go to this and, and see if you can see anything that looks odd. Or so it's yeah for all the the you know the knowns it's 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 fairly easy to uh, the database is running out of storage. Okay, it's, it's yeah, a fairly yeah. simple process. Uh, yeah, yeah. But if 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 it's something we haven't seen before, it it, it can be really you know hard to write a runbook. So it's, oh for sure, it's, it's diagnostics really right. You just like try yeah. this, understand this. This could be an area you want to explore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So um, that's that's how we do it right now. 
Do you but link it, the it, Confluence run books from backstage, Casper? I think that's kind of interesting, right? You can imagine you've got your services. Do you, do you link off to say, like, if there's an incident happening, here is the location of the run books? Not, not as it is right now, but it's something that we definitely could, uh, could do. Uh, and I think we will probably also move all of the incident um, uh, templates and uh, postmortems and run books and stuff into backstage as well. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? Nice to have, you know, Markdown available. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. The tech doc stuff's really cool in um, backstage, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's this has been awesome, Casper. I'm just looking through my notes. We've covered so much. Thank you for it so much. We've covered literally from like the coding to the shipping, right? With your um, release manager to the running and the incidents. Uh, anything else you think is like super interesting you want to share? I'm conscious of time as well, but this is, it's been a fantastic tour, tour of the landscape. I think the, there's some interesting challenges when you have uh, different AWS accounts, different mm-hmm. um, clusters running those accounts. How do you actually sort of consolidate all the data in, in one single mm-hmm. place and create the connection? So uh, if you, for example, we, we are not using the Kubernetes plugin for Backstage, but how do you actually want to, if, if you want to use that and you have Backstage running in one cluster, how do you actually get the information from all the other environments? Is something that is probably not that sort of a, a solved problem out there uh, as it is mm-hmm. right now. We, we are using Linkerd uh, multi-cluster oh, cool. uh, oh, to actually awesome. connect yeah. clusters in one, in one direction yeah. as it is right now. Um, but, but how do we actually do that? And, and the second part is, is probably around what is the next steps for, for GitOps, right? Um, mm. So what, what we are looking into, and, and we actually, so this, this, this actually sort of came down from, uh, from top level management is that we just bought a, a new company or a company in, in Sweden. Uh, they are running on, on, on Microsoft Azure. Ah, uh, classic, right? Amazon and Azure. Yes, surprise. Brilliant. So how do we actually do this? And how do yeah. we, as, as a t- central team, manage uh, this multi-cloud thing uh, uh, and, and connect clusters across clouds and, and stuff like that? So what we are looking into for next steps for but our GitOps process is, of course, looking at cluster API. Of course, nice, um, very nice. Yeah. Um, if if we can have Kubernetes as as the foundation that we can put into all of the different clouds that we have stuff running in, then it makes it a lot easier for us to um, to use the process that we talked about, all the tooling that we talked mm-hmm. about, because yep. that the foundation here is Kubernetes. So if we yes. have Kubernetes and can put a Kubernetes cluster in somewhere and link it back to our platform cluster, which is where most of the tooling is running in then that is really, really powerful. And, and it just makes it easy for us to, if we acquire a new company at some point, right? Um, it's a classic Google story cloud, in a different cloud. Yeah, yeah. Put a cluster in there and we can create a connection and, and they can, if they're not on their Kubernetes environment, they can, uh, or whatever they are running, we can, you know, make it easy for them to migrate because we have everything set up mm, in nice. terms of uh, doing this. And, and then the, the next thing is, of course, um, how do you actually manage all this, the, the stuff that you use from that particular cloud? Um, mm-hmm. So uh, how do you as a developer, if, if I need a specific database for my service because it's a, I don't know, high volume service or whatever it might be, or something that we want to really keep a, a, on itself, on its own instance, how do you actually do that? Um, mm-hmm. I think many people are probably doing some Terraform stuff, but then you yep. are missing the reconciliation loop that you get from the GitOps process and all the agents that we have running everywhere. 
Um, so we are looking a lot into crossplane. Uh, really just going nice. to mention crossplane. The upbound folks are super <laughs> interesting, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Because like that's it. a really, it's yeah. a really, really interesting project in terms of uh, they provide these low-level custom resources, right, for yeah, an, yeah. an RDS instance. Or but but and setting up that Postgres SQL database in AWS, it's it's, it's just not just creating an RDS instance. You also need to link it to a, a parameter group and a DB subnet, and a security groups. And yeah, yeah. Yada, yada, yada. Um, yep. Lots of different stuff you actually need to set up in order to get a database. Mm. And then uh, Crossplane, uh, which is, has this composite uh, resource definition where you can actually compose how does a Postgres instance look from our perspective. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Provide the, the same defaults. Um, so that also becomes really interesting in a multi-cloud scenario, right? Because if you sort of uh, expose the Postgres SQL instance to your developers, then underneath in, in sort of the, the plain custom resources, if you can yep. say that, uh, we, we can just create it for each different cloud. How do you actually set up a database in, in that cloud or in that cloud? And, and, and then the sort of the abstraction is it's just a Postgres SQL instance with a provider AWS mm -hmm. or provider Azure or whatever it might be, right? Yeah. So that is looking really, really interesting. And it's something that we will be working a lot on in, in the coming half year, I guess, um, and, and figuring out how do we actually do this and can mm. it do all the things that we think it can? Um, because if we have that, we also get all the cloud resources uh, that you need as a developer, get that into Git, have the reconciliation loop. We can put on the same labels and tags so we oh, can create custom insights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get all the benefits uh, that we are sort of missing when when sort of finance comes and say, why are you using all of its money? <laughs> it's that squat over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You get the cost breakdown, like chargebacks, right? You start saying. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Just yeah. you know, just to get the insights because right now we have no clue. Uh, yeah, very common, Gasper. I think very common. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's just yeah. So being able to have that tool in there, uh, both in terms of a multi-cloud strategy, but also mm. in terms of all the other stuff that we can potentially create with this. And then, yeah, operators and controllers and stuff like that. It's just um, more of that uh, because we put those custom resources into our Git repo. We get the, the stuff that we talked about in the beginning, right? We get audit, we get the log, uh, yep. we can see who did what. Uh, we get the PR, the review flow. Um, so we always have the baked into eyes. the workflow, the actual. Yeah, yeah. And, and we can actually also uh, take away access to the console if you want that. Um, mm. So you as a developer don't really need to go into whatever cloud we are running on. Ooh, you just, yeah. mm. you actually, and, and in our case with Shuttle, we can just say, uh, I want a, a object storage and it should have this name for mm. a bucket, for example. And then if it's on AWS, we just create an S3 bucket or if it's in Azure, we create whatever object storage they have, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I like it a lot. I can see the abstractions yeah. are key here, Casper. They? Like you mentioned a few yeah. times, like at different in terms of different parts of the workflow. But I think this is for the, well, it touches a whole bunch of the code ship run workflow, but getting that abstraction so that developers don't have to think about the differences of IAM rules and security groups and these kind of like, and even like a choosing your disk, right? And like when we were like, up to Amazon, it's like, do I want SSD? Do I want, you know, yeah. standard metal disks? Like that as a developer, like sometimes you care, sometimes you don't, right? Exactly. And, and we just want to make, and, and as a platform team, right, you can also put, we can put in the same defaults for how do we actually create yeah. it. So, so we don't get developers to, that are sort of uh, 
maybe they don't actually don't know it or well, forget to push the button that says this is a private DB. Uh, don't put a public endpoint to this. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. Even like security, yeah, characteristics. Like, yeah, really good point, actually. Yeah, it's very easy to do bad things sometimes as a developer in the cloud, right? <laughs> yes. And then just, you know, if, if, you're, if you've been running Terraform or whatever config management, uh, it's, it's always, you know, uh, uh, you run it and then there goes a couple of months or weeks or whatever and, and somebody actually went into a UI and changed something anyway and then you are sort of figuring out how to... Don't get that convergence, like constant convergence. Yeah. That is, yeah. uh, I think that's the, the key in, in everything that we try to do right now is reconciliation and having an agent yeah, yeah, that yeah. is actually doing this because that's automation. That's what we all strive to do and, and just have the system detect if something's wrong and, and, and mitigate and, and converge it back to whatever the desired state is. Yeah, brilliant stuff, Casper. This has been, yeah, fantastic tour. And there's so many principles you're pulling out from all the best practices around GitOps and around the single view of the world and things and how you onboard folks. Yeah, thank you so much. There's so many notes I've taken, right? I'm mean, going to take you all like, and the, the team, Erica, and myself, to break this down. Um, thank you, thank you. Casper, really appreciate your time, your insight. You know we're out. If we can ever help you, just give us a nudge, right? We're more than happy to because you're so generous with your time. But thank you very much. Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. It was uh, really fun. <laughs> <laughs>